Welcome to this JNNP podcast on an association with the annual general meeting of the BNPA, the British Neuropsychiatry Association. My name is Alan Carson, I'm one of the editors of the JNNP. Um, at the meeting we had the great pleasure to hear from Roland Zahn. Uh, Roland is an MRC clinical fellow um, who's got particularly interested in the issue of moral motivation and he's been working on this on his uh, project which he's uh, conducting through the Institute of Psychiatry. Roland, can you just sum up briefly what the, the sort of thesis of your talk was? So, so my talk started off with um, saying that the two ingredients which are important for um, moral behaviour, one is knowing about the sociocultural norms and needs of others defined as social knowledge, and then the other is moral motivation defined as being motivated to act on those uh, sociocultural norms and other people's needs. So I've outlined that there are, based on our recent work, seems to be a neuroanatomical uh, separation in the brain between these components in part. Of course, they're interlinked, such that the right anterior temporal lobe represents um, a particular type of social knowledge, that the knowledge of social concepts such as stingy, honour, greed. So it, it represents the, the meaning of, of these concepts and that enables us to um, understand abstract moral values which guide our behaviour. And then there is a, the second component, the moral motivations tied to those values being represented in different um, subcortical and frontal areas. For example, you mentioned that in Scotland, stinginess might be uh, considered a, a, a virtue that you strive to act on. So it might be the, the meaning of stinginess, the, the abstract meaning might be the same in, in Scotland and other parts of the world, but the um, moral motivation might be slightly different. So whether you feel guilty for acting in a slightly stingy way or whether you feel proud of it is different across cultures. I may not be allowed to go home tonight if my countrymen hear this podcast, but um, it was fascinating. Uh, one of the things that struck me was, and you gave some nice clinical examples, that these can actually dissociate, which is obviously one of the, the hallmarks that tend to tend to look for in, in, in clinical terms, with people losing one ability but not the other. Uh, just draw you out into these examples, if that's okay. Yeah, so I was talking about um, a patient um, I've seen who's had neurodegeneration or shrinkage of the right anterior temporal lobe, um, and she um, lost the understanding of the social meaning of situations and wasn't able to interpret them um, appropriately, and that's why we believe she behaved inappropriately. But at the same time, we were able to show that her ability to be motivated by other people's needs, as measured on an experimental test, appeared to be relatively intact. And then there are other patients who might act in an inappropriate fashion in a very similar way, but um, they've actually lost the motivation to act on other people's needs, and that's the the reason why they behave in that way. So I've I've tried to illustrate that in my Mm -hmm. talk. And and that's quite important, because we're not talking about a neuroscience of absolute morality, are we here? But really it's about a relative ability to assess as you were highlighting it, relative to your own social cultural norms. So it's, it's not about neuroscience deciding what's right or wrong, but rather about understanding the mechanisms how, as individuals, we, we decide what's right and wrong in our culture. If I... Yeah, so, so, so what I tried to point out is that um, we're not, neuroscience cannot solve qu- questions of morality, what's morally right or wrong, so the normative question. But neuroscience is important to understand 
how our brains enable us to be internally motivated to follow relatively complex sociocultural norms. And although they might differ across cultures, how is it possible that we're actually motivated to act on them? Because it doesn't make sense um, with these relatively simple models that neuroscience has put forward um, of, of external reward and punishment because people often follow their value systems even if nobody's checking them or observing them. And um, that is the, the essence of why there is a certain degree of, of moral behavior even in the absence of law enforcement. Um, and so that's the fact. And um, neuroscience can help to explain how our brains have enabled us to do that. And this estimate of worth and the attachment you're highlighting are key features of a number of psychiatric disorders. But in the second half of your talk, you went on to discuss them relative to major depression and also how an understanding of that in, in functional neurological terms might actually assist treatment. And can I just get you to expand a little bit on that? Because it sounded quite an exciting potential development. So so there are there's a long tradition of discussing the role of moral emotions such as guilt in depression first uh, Freud described that um, as a feature of depression but um, depression is more often associated with not only with guilt but with um, blaming oneself in a in an overgeneral fashion so blaming feeling as a failure at every aspect of, of uh, life rather than a specific thing and that leads to reduced self-worth, and that's influential cognitive models of depression have pointed to that. What we've been doing is to try to understand the neural mechanism of this overgeneralization of self-blame, and we found that the specific regions in the brain, the right anterotemporal and the subgeneral region, show decoupling or functional disconnection whilst people blame themselves, people with fully remitted depression. So we deduce that this might be a vulnerability factor um, for depression, and we've got some MRC-funded interim results. But they, they already show um, quite strong evidence that um, people who are at a high risk of recurrence, who've got, who will develop another episode of depression in the next year, show lower coupling between those brain areas on fMRI uh, whilst feeling uh, guilt or self-blame as compared with those patients who remain stable. And so that is is important in order to demonstrate that um, there might be a possible causal link between the decoupling mechanism and risk of depression. Of course, this is still ongoing work, um, and we need to finish the study. But um, what I've also talked about is that we're trying... So we've tr uh, developed a software in collaboration with my colleague George Moore in uh, Rio de Janeiro and his team that allows us to give feedback on the degree of correlation between those brain areas whilst people are in the scanner. And we're currently running a pilot clinical trial in Rio de Janeiro where people with remitted depression try to increase the correlation between those brain areas. And um, I'm, of course, very excited about the study and hope that we'll be able to show that there is a possibility to increase those brain areas, but it's very early days and still... Even if that's possible, we would then need to do a large clinical trial to show that it actually that this training actually reduces risk of recurrence. So this is a really real-time so, biofeedback in the <laughs> in the purest sense of the word, isn't it? So yeah, it's, it's a specific f type of biofeedback where you get 
information from the neural structures in the, your brain. And there, there are several groups around the world using this technique. There have been two studies in depression using neurofeedback, fMRI neurofeedback, um, and they've had very um, good results. But those studies were in people with current depression. They're small studies. They've used different methods. And we're now, we, our study tries to specifically uh, address those circuits we've identified as being related to recurrence risk, which is a very important problem because if we could get people, if we could bring down the risk of recurrence in depression, we could solve a large problem of, of suffering caused by depression because it's a, an essentially a, a recurrent disorder in half of the patients. So most people will not only have one episode of depression. There's quite a nice link between cognitive neuroscience and this sort of almost old-style cognitive behavioral theory or theories of depression and actually something that was, I suppose, largely starting to be discounted the idea that this was a background trait. But in fact, although you may not be seeing it in terms of therapeutic terms, you're actually showing that neurologically these traits are there. It's not just a state of depression issue, this feeling of worthlessness. Yes, yeah, so so if, although the people who helped in the study that um, were fully remitted from symptoms of depression, so most of them had very good self-esteem, had their normal lives, and um, you could still measure that if you used um, the fMRI that this vulnerability to develop low self-worth and blame oneself in an overgeneral fashion, that this vulnerability seems to be detectable if you assume that our neural measure is a, is a is a measure of that but we've we've got some indications that, that it, indeed it is so and i think that's why the fmri might be useful because it can pick up signals that you're not you might not be aware of so because otherwise one could argue why do you actually need this technique you could do it use, using psychological interventions but the facts are that despite cognitive behavioral therapy as well as medication, um, it can reduce the risk of recurrence, but a large proportion of people will still have another episode of depression over the long run. So there is a need to develop complementary approaches. Yeah, it was a fascinating talk, and I really look forward with interest to seeing how this develops over the next five, ten years of your work in it. Thank you very much. And if you are going to collaborate, Rio seems as good a place as any, although we're, we won't scan your motivation centres. <laughs> Thanks for your time. Thank you very much.